Amen. Well, if you'll please take your Bibles and turn with me now to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 19 this morning, verses 16 through 30. Uh, We're continuing in our message series called Jesus the Master Teacher. Uh, We're looking at a series of Jesus' teachings as we find in Matthew chapters 18, 19, and 20. And uh, today we come to Jesus' teaching about riches and the kingdom of God. Riches and the kingdom of God. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 30 in our message, but to get started, I'm just going to read verses 23 through 26, a portion from the middle of that. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Matthew 19, beginning at verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is God's word. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as uh, we look at this passage of Scripture this morning and uh, the verses before it and those immediately following it, uh, Lord, we just open our hearts to you. We ask, Holy Spirit, uh, uh, you've preserved this word for us uh, in the Scriptures to minister to our hearts today. And so we open our hearts to you. Speak to us, Lord. Uh, Lord, we know that your word has great power uh, to change us and to help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, last week we looked at Jesus' teaching on marriage. That was verses 1 through 12 in chapter 19. Today we're looking at Jesus' teaching on money, wealth, riches. That's in verses 16 through 30. And if you're paying attention, and I hope you are, you might have noticed, wait, we just skipped some verses in between. What about verses 13 through 15, uh, where Jesus teaches about the little children? Well, the reason we're jumping over those verses this morning is because we already covered them, okay? That was when we looked at Jesus' teaching on little children in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5. We did those verses and we jumped ahead and we also grabbed chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. So that's why we're not covering them this morning. Already covered them. But, you know, it, it is interesting to see how these verses fit into our context uh, of this present chapter now that we're actually here. And I want you to see how it fits into the flow. Jesus is teaching about a marriage, and then children, and then money. And uh, his teaching on children here in chapter 19, that naturally follows his teaching on marriage, right? Marriage, children, goes together. And then also as he teaches on the children, and then we go into the story of the rich young man, the children form a very clear contrast uh, to this rich young man in the following passage. Why? Well, when Jesus speaks about the little children, what does he say? He says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as little children. What does he say about the rich man? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the contrast there? So it's fascinating to see how it fits into our context. We said that each of Jesus' teachings here in Matthew chapters 18 through 20, each of them are prompted by various occasions or various questions that people bring to Jesus. And as we're going to find out, today's teaching is prompted by this rich young man who comes up to Jesus asking, what must I do to get eternal life? What must I do? 
It's an important question, isn't it? It's one that we should all be asking. No more important question in the world. How do I get eternal life, right? So we're going to listen in now as Jesus uh, talks first with the rich young man and then with his disciples about money, about wealth, and about what must I do to be saved. There's an outline in your worship guide. I encourage you to take that out at this time to follow along or jot down some notes, but let's get started. Our passage begins now with Jesus and the rich young man. And you know what? This young man, he's got a lot going for him. He addresses Jesus as teacher, very respectful, right? He seems sincere in his questioning. In fact, the Gospel of Mark even tells us that Jesus loved this young man. He loved him. And you know what? He certainly comes to the right person for answers, doesn't he? He's coming to Jesus. So he's got a lot going for him. But you know what? He has some misconceptions, some misunderstandings about salvation and about how a person obtains eternal life. And so Jesus needs to teach him, even as Jesus needs to teach us about what it means to follow Christ and go to heaven. And the first thing Jesus needs to teach him is this, is that only God is good. Only God is good. That's the first thing he needs to teach him. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me now as we get started. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. So this young man is clearly interested in spiritual matters. That's a good thing. He wants to live right. He wants to do good. He wants to go to heaven. He's just not sure how do you get there. But his question, his question shows us he was basing his salvation on what? On good works, right? What did he ask Jesus? What good thing must I do? See, for him, it was all about doing. What must I do? What one good thing? He was probably looking for just this one big radical thing he could do that would assure him of eternal life. One grand gesture that would guarantee his place in heaven. So he says, Jesus, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus, as he so often did, did answers his question with another question. You know, you like that? Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And that one, Jesus is clearly speaking about God here. He's reminding this young man that only God is truly good. Now, of course, we know Jesus is also good because Jesus is God, right? But he's just trying to get this young man to think a bit here, right? Because there's a big difference, okay? There's a big difference between doing good That's what the young man was saying, right? What good thing must I do? Big difference between doing good and being good. The young man asked about doing good. What good thing must I do? Jesus points him to God who is good. Because you can't truly do good unless you are good. And people, that's our problem with trying to do good things to get into heaven. Because only God is good, right? Only God is good, which means we can't do good without God. We read this in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. 
There's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Because you can't do good unless you are good, and only God is good. This young man asked Jesus, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? But it was the wrong question. Only God is good, and so there is no good thing that we can do to enter heaven. But this young man is focused on doing good, right? So Jesus directs his attention next to God's commandments, okay? Look at verses 17 through 19 now, where Jesus tells him, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Bring it on. Which ones? Jesus replied, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you want to enter life? Obey the commandments. And Jesus' words here are straight out of the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Leviticus 18.5, where God said this, Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Jesus says, you want to live? You want to enter life? Obey the commandments. And when this young man asked Jesus, which ones? You notice Jesus focuses especially on the second part of the Ten Commandments, right? Those ones which tell us how we should treat other people. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. But then he adds one additional commandment. Also from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19, 18, where God said, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So let's break this down now. This young man, he was looking for one big radical thing he could do to ensure his entrance into heaven. He wanted to get it all done at once, right? All done. Jesus instead directs him to the lifelong task of keeping God's commandments. Jesus says, if you obey the commandments, you will live. Which is great, except for one thing. None of us obey the commandments, right? None of us do that. We might think we do, but we don't. You know, a lot of times if you ask someone, do you know if you're going to heaven? And they'll say, sure, I'm going to heaven. You go, well, why? Why do you think you're going to heaven? They'll say, because I keep the Ten Commandments. You say, oh, that's great. What are the Ten Commandments? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, yeah, so I'm going to heaven because I keep the Ten Commandments, but I don't even know what they are. Right? Can't tell you how many times that's happened. But you know what? This young man, he's a lot like us, right? Except this. I bet you he could tell you what the Ten Commandments were. All ten in order from memory without hesitation. Look at verses 20 to 22 now. He said, I couldn't say this to Jesus. He goes, I did it. All these I've kept, the young man said. Really? What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, this young man knew the commandments. As far as he could tell, he had kept them. So Jesus had to dig deeper, right, under the surface. He had to dig deeper to show this man how much he really needs God. 
So Jesus tells him, sell it all. Sell everything. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. Now I believe if Jesus had simply asked him to make a large donation, he probably would have done it, right? He would have felt proud about it. He would have felt real good about himself. Probably would have thought, there we go. I did it. I earned my way. I deserve eternal life now. I made a large donation to the kingdom of God. So Jesus doesn't ask him for a donation, right? What does he have? He asks for total surrender. Jesus asks for all of it because Jesus knows it's not a matter of money. It's a matter of the heart. This man's heart is attached to his wealth. And until his heart becomes unattached, he can never follow Jesus. And it's not the giving away the money part that's going to save him. No, it's the following Jesus part, right? Jesus said, give it all away, sell it, sell it, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. The young man asked Jesus for one thing he could do, one and done, right? Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. Come follow me. But first, Jesus pointed out to him the one thing, the one thing for him that stood in his way. See, now we know why Jesus included that extra commandment, right? He's going through the Ten Commandments, and then he throws in this one from Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why did Jesus throw that one in there? Because this man did not truly love his neighbor as himself. Because if he did, he would want his neighbor to have what he had rather than to keep it for himself. Jesus diagnosed this man's man's problem perfectly. And sadly, the young man turned away. Why? Because money was more important to him than Jesus. You know, verse 22 is one of the saddest, most ironic verses in the Bible. I mean, if you just read it out of context, right? Let me read it to you. If you didn't know anything else that's going on, you read this verse. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Does that make any sense to you? He went away sad because he had great wealth. You don't hear that, do you? It's like saying a person was sad because they won the lottery. A person was really sad. Why are you sad? Oh, I got my government stimulus check. <laughs> you know, why, why are you sad today? Oh, I got this inheritance from someone I don't even know. You know, we usually associate great wealth with great joy. But this man was sad. Why? Because of his great wealth. And you know, this was the time for this young man to fall on his knees before Jesus. Jesus said, sell it all, give it away. To fall on his knees before Jesus say, I can't do that. I can't sell everything I have. I can't love my neighbor as myself. I can't keep the commandments. Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. And you know what Jesus would have? He would have saved him. But instead, he chose his money over Jesus, and he went away sad rather than saved. Now, it's important to note that this is not a universal command for all Christians. People sometimes wonder about that. Jesus does not ask all of us to sell everything you have and give to the poor. We know that because Jesus had other followers who were wealthy, and he did not ask them to give it all away. 
No, this was a specific command for this young man, similar to uh, when God told Abraham to uh, sacrifice his oldest son. That's not a command for each of us either. Specific command for Abraham. Jesus doesn't ask all of us to sell everything, but God does call you to surrender all that you have for Christ in his kingdom. And if that means for you selling everything and giving to the poor, then so be it. We must be willing to follow Christ wherever he leads us. And there's also a word uh, for us here in Jesus' command of this rich young man, a, a, a word, a reminder that we should be generous, that we should share the good things that God has given us with those who are in need. But Jesus' main command here, it's not so much to give it all away, right? It's to rather come follow me. And why did Jesus ask this young man to give it all away first? Because Jesus knew that this man could never follow Jesus unless he first let go of his wealth. And so Jesus put his finger on the precise thing that was keeping this young man from following Christ. So let me ask you this morning. What is your one thing? What is keeping you from following Jesus today? Could be money, like this rich young man. It could be pride, status, fame, popularity. It could be a specific relationship. Uh, it could be a pattern of living that you are not willing to let go. What are you choosing over Jesus? What is making you walk away sad today rather than embracing Jesus and his free gift of eternal life? Young man wanted to know what good thing he could do to obtain eternal life. But there is no good thing you can do because only God is good. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. So yes, Jesus said, if you obey the commandments, you will live. But none of us obey the commandments. So what must you do to be saved? It's very simple. You must put your faith in Jesus. Acts 16.31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That was in response to the jailer asking Paul, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Do you want to enter eternal life? You must trust Jesus who died on the cross for your sins if you want to be saved. That's it. So that's Jesus and the rich young man. Let's move on now because Jesus now uses this occasion... Uh, to get more general, to teach us about rich persons and the kingdom of God. Wealth and the kingdom of God. How do these work together? Look at Matthew 19 now, back uh, in verses 23 to 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in those days, you've got to understand, wealth was viewed as a sign of favor from God. That's the way people viewed it. Someone was wealthy, God was blessing them. Jesus turns that around now by talking about how hard it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom. Well, how hard is it? Well, not just a little hard. 
Not just you really got to work at it hard. No, Jesus says it is on the impossibility scale of hard for the rich to enter God's kingdom. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Camel, that was the largest animal found in Israel at that time. The eye of the needle, that's probably the smallest of openings you can imagine. Plus, you know, the camel's got all those humps too. That would get in the way, right? If it for those humps, no, still can't do it, right? Jesus takes the largest animal. He takes the smallest of openings. He says it's easier for that camel to go through the needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. Well, that's a pretty strong saying. You might wonder, well, who are the rich then? Who are the rich? Jesus doesn't say, does he? He doesn't put a number on it. You and I, we're rich compared to those around the world who have little. We're rich compared to most people in history and what they've had. But you see, Jesus doesn't give a number because it's not so much a matter of what you have, but rather your attitude towards what you have. You don't have to be rich for money to be a snare. Even the desire to be rich can keep someone from following Christ. We read this in 1 Timothy 6. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the Bible's teaching on this is clear. Whether you are actually wealthy or you just want to be wealthy, either way, money can be an obstacle to faith. Money can be an obstacle to faith. That doesn't have to be that way, right? There are many rich people, many rich people who love God and serve God, and they give generously to others and to God's kingdom. It doesn't have to be that way. It's not that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. That's the problem, though, isn't it, right? Most of us love money, right? Most of us love money. And that was the rich young man's problem. He loved his money more than he loved Jesus. And so Jesus tells his disciples, it's hard, it's hard for a rich man to enter God's kingdom. Easier for that camel to get through the needle's eye than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Back to Matthew 19 now, look at verses 25 and 26. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The disciples are shocked at Jesus' statement because they, along with everyone else, They were used to viewing wealth as a sign of God's blessing, as a sign of God's approval. And if it's impossible for a person whom God has blessed to go to heaven, then how can anyone be saved? That's that's what they're saying here. And Jesus tells them, yeah, with man it's impossible. You're right. Who can be saved? Impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, only God can save. Only God can save. We can't save ourselves. If, if the rich being saved is like a camel going through the needle's eye, well, then for the rest of us, it's still like a horse or a zebra trying to go through the needle's eye. It's not going to happen, right? We can't do it. It is impossible. Impossible to save ourselves. But with God, 
all things are possible. You know, every time a person is saved, that is a beautiful, amazing miracle from God. Only God can save. And get this, the Bible tells us that God only saves through His Son, Jesus Christ. We read earlier, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. We read in Acts 4, 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, speaking of Jesus, under heaven, given to men by which we must be saved. And so rich or poor, great or small, all must enter the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So yes, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what? It's hard for all of us. In fact, it's impossible apart from God. Only God can save. And God only saves through Jesus. That brings us to the final section of our passage now, which focuses on the cost and reward of following Jesus. And here we learn two very important truths. Number one, you must give up everything to follow Jesus. And number two, you receive far more from Jesus than you give up for Jesus. Look at both of these together now. So important. First, you must give up everything to follow Jesus. Look at verse 27. Peter answered him, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? He should have stopped after the uh, statement. He should have asked the question, right? Good old foot in the mouth, Peter. Always the first to speak up. He basically says to Jesus, hey, we gave up everything. What do we get? What do we get in return? What's my bonus? Now, to be fair to Peter here, you know, Peter and the disciples, they really did do this. They really did give up everything to follow Christ. When Jesus called the disciples, they left their nets. They left their fishing boats. They left their tax collector booths. They left their families behind. Because you see, when you're actually standing there on the shore with your fishing boats and your nets, and Jesus comes along and says, follow me, you've got a choice to make, right? You can stay there with your fishing boats and nets, or you can follow Jesus, but you can't do both because he's moving on. It's the same way with us today. We all have obstacles in our lives that keep us from following Jesus. And we all know what those obstacles are for ourselves. And so when Jesus comes along and says, you, follow me, you've got a choice to make. Which will it be? Will you choose whatever it is that is keeping you from following Jesus, or will you leave it behind and choose to follow Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. That's the first thing we learn from this final section. You must give up everything to follow Jesus. But here's the best part now. It's a really good part. You receive far more from Jesus than you ever give up for Jesus. Look at our closing verses now, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said to them, answering Peter's question, as I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, 
When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth and he asked Jesus, what do we get? What do we get? And amazingly, Jesus, instead of rebuking him, Jesus simply answers him with grace. He says, oh, Peter, you you can't believe what you're going to get. It goes so far beyond anything you could ask or imagine, so far beyond anything you've given up for me. Peter, when this world is over, when the new world begins, and the Son of Man is sitting on his throne in glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Peter could never have guessed that one, right? Now, it's unclear whether Jesus means that the 12 actual disciples will sit on thrones and judge those who rejected Jesus as Messiah. That's probably what it is. It it could be representative of all believers who will reign with Christ one day. But either way, Jesus goes on and he extends this promise of reward to everyone, to all believers who sacrificed for Christ. He says, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for Jesus' sake will receive a hundred times as much and will also inherit eternal life. And there it is, right? Eternal life. That's what the rich young man wanted. That's where this whole started, right? He said, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He wanted eternal life, but you know what? He was not willing to follow Jesus to get it. And as a result, he lost out on the ultimate reward. All that money, all that wealth that he was unwilling to part with, if he had followed Jesus, he would have received a hundred times as much. And he would have received what he was seeking to begin with, the free gift of eternal life. But as Jesus says at the end of this section, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is one of Jesus's favorite sayings. We'll be looking at it a little bit more closely next week because it comes up again in next week's passage. You see, everything gets reversed when it comes to Jesus. In the context of our passage, remember the little children that we skipped over because we already talked about them, but they're here. They're right here in this passage. The little children who had nothing. Those little children, they had nothing. They were welcomed by Jesus. While this rich man who has everything walks away sad. The disciples leave everything for Jesus. They will sit on thrones with Jesus. And those who sacrifice for Christ receive a hundred times as much in return. So yeah, you must give up everything to follow Jesus. But you receive far more from Jesus than you will ever give up for him. And most important of all, when you follow Jesus, you will inherit eternal life. Here's the bottom line. We cannot save ourselves because we are not good and we are not God. Only God is good. Only God can save. You obey the commandments, you will live, but none of us obey the commandments. 
There's no good thing you can do to be saved. You can only believe in Jesus and receive the free gift of salvation. Now, here's the thing. If you truly believe in Jesus, you will want to follow him. And if you truly want to follow Jesus, you will be willing to leave everything behind. You must give up everything to follow Christ, including giving up trusting in your own good works to be saved. Whether you're rich or poor, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to give up everything for Jesus. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. When you give up everything, whether you've got a lot or a little, when you give up everything, what do you got left? Nothing, right? Nothing. But you'll always receive so much more from Jesus. And you give up a hundred times as much, plus eternal life. And so it all comes down to this one thing. What must I do? That's where we started, right? What must I do to be saved? It comes down to one thing. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe him when he says you'll be better off following him than holding on to whatever it is that you're holding on to. Do you believe Jesus? And will you follow him today? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thought it was going to be all about the rich young man, but Lord, it turns out it's about us. We thought it was going to be all about money and wealth, but it turns out it's about whatever is keeping us from following you. Lord, we thought we were all going to be able to uh, uh, have a good time dumping on the rich young man and, and saying, you know, boy, he really blew it. But Lord, instead you ask us to examine our own lives. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us as we uh, receive this word from you today. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who has never made that step to believe in you, to ask you for eternal life, to realize that you are the only one who can save them, Pray they would believe on you today, being willing to leave everything behind, to follow you all the way to the gates of heaven, where we will live forever in glory and peace and joy and in your presence. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.